0: So today we are going to return to the question of contraception, looking at Janet Smith's material. So, if you've all got the notes on Janet Smith I gave you last time, yes. Now I think I asked you to read the, these remaining pages by yourself. Did I? Um, have you? Uh, so the question really—I I want to talk through these nonetheless. So I've. You've had your assignments back, Um, I've picked up through those, some of you found the contrast between Grise and Janet Smith rather than enlightening, confusing, Um, particularly over the question of what's meant by open, Um, because Grise's whole approach is really taking the more subjective interpretation of open, making it all about intention. Um, Janet Smith argues the very opposite. I think certainly in terms of what is the meaning of the Human Vitae, she's on solid ground. Um, so what we're looking at today is what her articulation is. Um, and so I thought a key thing for us to start with today is the difference between natural family planning and contraception. So if you look to your notes, to page nine of the bundle I gave you on Janet Smith. Um, And I've listed there a group of analogies. Um, Now, with an analogy, you're not talking about something that is the same thing. You are talking about something that is similar, has a point of comparison, so that by making that comparison, it helps you understand the other thing, but it isn't the other thing. Yes, so with the analogies I've got on that page, we're not talking about something that is the same, but let's talk through what those things are. so, top of the page there, I've said, analogies to explain the difference between natural family planning and contraception. And the first point I want us to all be clear about is that the difference isn't in being artificial. Um, so that there are many artificial devices that work with nature um, that are you know, great, that the church is enthusiastic about. Um, so, you know, my, my glasses are artificial, Uh, They are not a moral problem, they're a moral gift. Um, A hearing aid, working with not just the physical hearing of the ear, but the whole human functioning of communication. um, So it's not just about a physical process being assisted, but when we look at that physical process in terms of how it serves the human being, Um, And the functioning, the purpose, um, it's restoring it to function. It's not working against nature, it's working with nature. It's artificial, but it is natural. So artificial isn't the enemy of natural. So you may or may not have picked up in different bits of the literature... Some writers will talk about artificial contraception as being immoral. It's increasingly become the case that writers will talk about contraception being immoral, by which they're wanting to kind of make the point it's not being artificial that's the problem. It's contraception. Whatever contraception is, that's the problem. and so one of the points I've made is is you you can actually have an artificial natural family planning and that you measure your symptoms or the woman measures her symptoms artificially she has a temperature gun she has a the the chemist boots in the UK has another device to measure a woman's symptoms artificially but it's natural Um, so artificial doesn't mean unnatural In fact, in many cases, artificial can be natural. It's restoring the nature of a thing to function. Hearing aid being. A c- How
1: do you define artificial in this context? How d- define what? Artificial in this context.
0: That's a good question. I think the point is, we're not concerned about the word artificial theologically. We're concerned about unnatural. So, the real question is how are we defining unnatural? So, a device helping you isn't a problem. The question is whether it helps you in a way that is against your nature and against the nature of the activity. Does that clarify? I think one of
2: the struggles in making that distinction mentally, is typically so natural as opposed to unnatural, but typically in verbiage, artificial is opposed, opposed to natural. So trying to distinguish those two things is sort of you have to be very attentive to it, I guess. In thought.
0: And I think you're into the heart of terminological. what is the problem, and the church is using these words philosophically quite precisely according to our natural law teaching, but popular discourse has these same words but uses them differently. And so a good Catholic can take those words and think they know what they mean, but they don't mean what the Church means. And so as I've said before, you can have your certain type of kind of uber-Catholic couple that will be so keen to do the right thing that they'll actually do more than the church is calling for because they've so thoroughly rejected anything vaguely artificial that they're not even measuring their symptoms. Um, As many children as God gives us. Well, that isn't actually what the Catholic faith says. Okay, next bullet point there. So, the difference isn't in intention. This is a big thing. And obviously, Grise does hinge everything in intention. And that does mean, although he comes to the same conclusion, contraception is a sin, natural family planning is not a sin, the whole structure of his argument is quite novel. It's not in the tradition. It's not... Normal. Um. the difference is not in intention the difference between NFP and contraception both NFP and contraception aim to not have a child at least not have a child right now the difference is not in subjective aptitude in being open in that sense as I I said there's a mistaken way of thinking well we're open to children because NFP doesn't really work and there might be a child Um, so a couple of you in your assignments spoke about the as if artificial contraception is 100% predictable and reliable actually it isn't Um, so the back of Actually, there's the lecture before on Responsible Parenthood and NFP, The artificial methods are um, also quite unreliable. The only way they become fully reliable is with abortion as a backup. So you may remember one of the rulings of the Supreme Court, might have been two decades ago now, in ruling in favour of abortion, said... For over a generation now, American couples have been using contraception knowing that they could use abortion when it fails. These two things in effect have to go hand in hand to have 100% success. Um, So open doesn't mean the method doesn't really work, therefore NFP is open means something else it's saying there's something in the structuring of the act itself that is still ordered to life now my analogies here trying to explain this so i've taken the per se destinatus this latin phrase which is what is in vitae, literally meaning ordered in itself destined in itself inherently aiming in itself and tried to give some examples here sleeping so a man asleep still has a rational nature even when this is unactualized in his sleep and I've said he's not opposed his rational nature by going to sleep he's simply recognizing the pattern and nature of sleeping now modern thinking and us as Catholics, in as much as we are modern, we're all nominalists, whether we think it or not. we've lost the sense of the nature of a thing. But you are still a rational being, even when you are asleep. Yes, you haven't turned into a monkey or a sheep, or you are still a human being. you still have a rational nature, even when asleep. Your nature is still destined to rational activity, even though it isn't actualized. Um, now, I know in saying that I'm stating what's in a sense is very, very obvious. But are you seeing the connection in terms of the analogy here? My next analogy, a blind eye. So this is Janet Smith's analogy. A blind eye is still ordered towards sight. That's still what it is, an eye. What is an eye? It's a thing that sees. A blind eye isn't seeing very well, but that is still what an eye is. It hasn't become a toenail. It's still an eye, yeah? And if you have a partially working eye, well it's not fully functional, Um, and using it while partially functioning hasn't caused the partial function. Now moving on to sexual intercourse itself, old age here, an old couple's union, is still per se destinatus ordered towards children, even when they're old and infertile. That the conjugal act retains that meaning even when it's not actualized. So what is sex about, sexual intercourse? In itself, it's an act that has a number of significances, if we think of the, what is marriage about, a, a threefold end we talked about, procreation, serving the common good by being a place where children can be raised, serving the good of the couple in, the, in their union, their permanence, their faithfulness, their love, their total self-gift, and the, the remedy for concupiscence. Well, even when the procreation aspect is no longer, because of old age, realisable, the other things don't cease to be present. It's still the nature of the union, the type of union it is. Any comments on that scenario before we move an old couple they haven't caused themselves to be infertile, they just are infertile of of that age but the sex act still has the meaning the significance of union, of a remedy for concupiscence and it still has the meaning of procreation even though that isn't realisable as a meaning. That's what sex is about. So they don't have to say, well, we can no longer have a child now, we're fifty five years old, therefore we can't have sex anymore. Well no, that's never been what you know the, the Christian tradition has said. an old couple are definitely not going to be having more children. But if we c- compare that old couple together with all kinds of friendships and other different relationships, what makes their union, what the type of thing it is, it hasn't become a, just a friendship, it is a marriage. To marriage in a different phase. It still has that inherent order, purpose, structure. Now everyone's gone very silent which either means you're not really following me or I'm stating stuff too obvious.
1: Man is sitting. of course, this rational packages completely don't. There's no way he can exercise that. Um, but uh, the problem I see that continues to grow is um, for the couple who don't have problems, They choose to have sex simply for unity of meaning, even when the time is not. So, why should they have sex when it is only for the unity of meaning?
0: For the unity of meaning. So that that is a real thing, it's a good thing, it's not a, a thing to be kind of ashamed of. Um, so it is, it is one of the ends of marriage, it's worth pursuing as a thing. As long as you don't pursue it in a way that attacks, thwarts the other means. Let me spell through the, the next bits of my analogy here, and we'll keep coming back to this, because, in a sense, we have to sit with this long enough for you to feel comfortable with this. As a priest, to, to, in a sense, say the opposite, you're not comfortable. You kind of hear what the church says, you don't disagree, but you don't feel yourself able to explain it. Well, there are lots of things that that's true for you, any priest, the Trinity I, kind of, I hear it, the Lord says it it's there in the Bible uh, I don't disagree with it but I don't really understand it um, there are many things with parishioners with couples, with teenagers that what I'm saying isn't I've figured this out but this is what we have received and yes I don't understand it but I accept it And sometimes as a priest, it can be very powerful for the laity to hear you say that. Here is something in how to live with respect to sex that I can't fully explain this, but I just know this has been what Catholics have always done. And I'm as a priest wanting to hand on to you a way of life that is what Catholics have always done. So we want to try to understand, but sometimes there are things we can't articulate, but we need to at least be able to articulate that. Um, and there's a type of intellectual humility in that that can be very appealing in our modern age. To say, actually, there are many things in life that we can't understand, but we can accept because we trust the divine witness and we trust his church that he has set up to within certain restricted parameters infallibly hand on what he's given. Okay. Sleeping. Um blind eye. Old age. infertile because of old age then just infertile now you will come across a lot of couples who are in this category who want to be fertile and they're not and they will engage in this teaching in a very different way but sometimes also an equally difficult way Someone who is infertile, their union is still, what is it? It's a marriage union. It's still a union, therefore, of itself. What is uh, is about? It's this thing that is about looking towards children, union, remedy for concupiscence. Um, why does an infertile couple feel such pain at being infertile? Because they recognize that this type of union that they're a part of is ordered towards something that they've been trying for 10, 20 years and and not succeeded in. That that is still what their union is about in in its inherent ordering, in its per se destinatus. So what have I said there? Long-term infertility. A sex act still has a procreative meaning even when a young couple are infertile. The conjugal act possesses this as its inherent meaning. The procreative meaning of the act isn't thwarted even though it isn't actualized. They haven't done something to the act to make it infertile. It just isn't fertile. But it remains a type of activity that is ordered towards procreation. You know, it hasn't become scratching your head. It's that it is still the Marital Act. Um, and the Marital Act has this meaning in it, inherently. Okay, then, in a sense where we're really heading with this. when you've got days of infertility. So someone who we would, generally speaking, say, a fertile couple, a fertile young woman, but she has many days of her month that she isn't fertile. So an infertile day of the month for a normally fertile couple, a sex act still has a procreative meaning even when performed on an infertile day, the procreative meaning of the acts isn't thwarted, even though it's not actualized. Rather, the couple simply recognize the pattern and nature of the woman's fertility cycles. Sexual intercourse on a day when you're not fertile engages the unit of meaning even while knowing that the procreative meaning isn't being realized. So the procreative meaning is still inherent there, it's still there but it isn't realised it isn't actualised it's, it's sleeping Do come back to that analogy and you know it's sleeping the two meanings one of them is sleeping on this day the other is active and you engage with it using in actuality the meaning that it is still there, fully knowing that it's still there and the other isn't there. Then quoting Elizabeth Anscombe in that footnote um, that I quoted before. For you to use the rhythm method, um, for you use the rhythm method, not just by having intercourse now, but by not having it next week, say. And not having it next week isn't something that does something to today's intercourse to turn it into an infertile act. Today's intercourse is an ordinary act of intercourse, an ordinary marriage act. You haven't changed the act. It's still the marriage act. You haven't thwarted its potentialities, its meaning, its per se destinatis. You just know, engaging in it on these days, that it's not fertile. And you might not know exactly how accurately you've measured which day she's fertile and not, but you do know in as much as you have measured that accurately, you haven't thwarted the act, you haven't caused it, you're just engaging with it, knowing she's not fertile.
2: I guess, uh, we covered this very briefly with Monsignor McMahon, um, in the wider context of fundamental moral theology, but from what I remember when he went over NFP, it was, he was more or less saying the same things you were, except I remember he said that NFP still It can have an immoral intention because, again, using kind of Brise's idea where everything focuses on the choice against life, like it can be a choice against life if the couple is doing it with a contraceptive mentality. In other words, if they're actively choosing against a child, against life, and simply opting to do it by natural means rather than artificial. so like he used the example of like I don't know, environmentalist or people that are into things like you know natural and organic, whatever. but I guess what it what it seemed like stuck out from what he was saying is that intention is still a big part of it and it seems like you're not saying that do you? I, know. I think what I'm saying
0: is I'm taking for granted a stage of the analysis that he's focused on. So we started our whole discussion about this, talking about the need for there to be just causes to be using NFP. to Just causes to be wanting to not have a child. Yeah, that was the previous lecture on responsible parenthood. Right. So that intention has in terms of intention, does have to be satisfied. And to phrase it differently, a married couple, by seeking to be married, if they're engaging in the Christian understanding, are seeking to have children. That's the default if you're entering into marriage. And during your marriage, the default is seeking to have children. So there needs to be a just cause to not want to have a child. And there are many cases when that just cause is there, for for years, for decades, Um, but the, the default, what marriage is about. So, Smith's analysis would be saying, well, when that condition is satisfied, then it's not about intention, the difference between the mechanisms. And if you engage in the mechanism of NFP with a contraceptive mentality, to use the, the terminology that actually is used by Gruset but would also be used by Janet Smith, um, you, you think that, well, I'm not being artificial, therefore I'm being Catholic. But you are, in effect, being unnatural because you're opposing the nature of marriage at a time in your marriage when really you should be seeking to have a child. So, you know the traditional thing before a couple would get married is the man approaching the woman to ask her to marry him would have established himself able to provide for her and their offspring. He'd have a job. He'd have a place to live. That these would be the things that the mu- the father-in-law would be saying. You know, um, In fact, I can remember my dad saying that to my brother-in-law when he turned up, asking, you know, can you support my daughter on On that job. Um, The default being in that structure that in seeking to enter marriage, you're seeking to enter family. That this is just what marriage is about. That clarified you? So I think in Smith's analysis, there's a default intention that has to be satisfied before this distinction intention has any relevance. Okay, bottom of the page here. I I make some contrasts. I say, getting drunk isn't the same as going to sleep. There's a typo there. I say, not the same and going to sleep, but you see, not the same as going to sleep. A man thwarts his rational nature by willfully getting drunk. He's chosen a course of action That, oh goodness, again, is contrary to his dignity as a rational creature. Yeah, so it is very possible, it frequently happens, a man says, I want to get drunk tonight. I want to drink so much, I am no longer rational. Yes? Um, That is opposing his nature as a rational being. That philosophically is what is problematic about getting drunk. God has made you in his image and likeness, he's made you as a rational being, to do engage in an action deliberately thwarting that is contrary to your nature, is unnatural in that sense. We don't usually talk about being drunk as unnatural but it is. But that isn't the same as going to sleep, where the cycles of being awake, being asleep, are just utterly in keeping with human existence, human nature, in that sense. So I say sleeping versus getting drunk. In both of these acts, you continue to be a rational being. But in one of the acts, you don't respect your rational nature. Blinding yourself is attacking the meaning of the eye. So, you know, if you, by no choice of your own, don't have a fully functioning eye, then you can use it in as much as it it is functioning. But if you attack it by blinding it, You know, I've had enough of looking at all these miserable people. Um, I'm going to pluck my eyes out. Um, I'm thwarting the nature of my eye. Um, Using a condom is not like having sex on an infertile day. Using a condom, a man thwarts the procreative meaning of his sex act when he puts a condom on in sex. He's chosen to engage in an act, putting on a condom, designed to directly thwart the procreative meaning of the act. And therefore unnatural. So the condom isn't problematic because it's artificial. The condom is problematic because it's unnatural. It's opposing, directly thwarting the nature of the marriage act.
3: I had the same concern with Daniel I do kind of, kind of answered it yeah. about the intention because in of what I read in the files, the right of an act is so dependent on the intention. For example, you may it may murder someone but you may be acquitted if you have found that the intention was accidentally hit the trigger and someone whether okay, this life the justification that you really didn't intend to then you uh, set free. And if you intend to kill this person you have to do into right there. Um, so I, I don't know that this particular situation of NFP and conversation diffracts from that you know general norm of the or not to
0: be of the intention. I think the thing I'd want to add there, and I think St. Thomas would want to add, is that it doesn't only depend on the intention. So if you look at the catechism, there are three sources of the morality of an act, the intention, the object, and the circumstances. So if one of those three is wrong, is evil, then the whole act becomes evil. But intention isn't the only one. So, um, giving to the poor is a good thing to do, but if I give to the poor with an intention of vanity, being seen giving to the poor, then my act, the object of which is giving to the poor, that object is good, but the whole act has become evil. called the sources of morality, intention, object, circumstances. Yes, as I say this, you've done all this before, mm-hmm. yeah? Um, so intention is one of the things that can make an act evil, and as intention is evil, the act becomes evil. But even if the intention is good, the object has to be good as well. So there are lots of objects that are what's called intrinsically evil. That in any circumstances, for any intention, it's still wrong to do. Um, so this is one of the principles that Veritas Splendor was trying to, to reiterate, maintain, defend. Um, Contraception is one such example that the object of the act is intrinsically evil. Abortion, intrinsically evil. And it's never a circumstance where it becomes okay. There's never an intention where it becomes okay. You might talk about many circumstances where somebody might be less blameworthy, but it never makes the act a good act. So... If one of these three is wrong, e- evil, the whole becomes evil. The analogy I often come to is, because I always talk about eating, don't I? Um, a meal that's poisoned. If one part of my meal, I've got my veg, I've got my potatoes, I've got my meat. If, one, if the potatoes are poisoned, but the meat and the veg are healthy, and I eat the meal, well, I die. Because <laughs> one bit is poisoned. One bit being evil makes the whole because I engage in the whole. I don't just engage in the bits the whole because my will chooses the bits the whole, and if one bit is evil, I will evil. does that help, James okay, so. We're not saying intention is irrelevant, we're saying intention, or Smith is saying, intention isn't everything. Whereas Griset's analysis makes intention pretty much everything. It focuses everything on intention. Maybe, where do the means fall? Do they fall
3: in the object
0: or in the suffering? The, the, the means are the object. So the, the word means is a kind of colloquial, casual way of referring to what technically is the object and because I don't just will the end because that's also how we would refer to the intention I don't just will the end I will how I'm going to get there I will the means to the end so my will chooses both the end and the means to the end I will both of them if one of them is evil I am willing which more precisely is why each of these have to be good or neutral in order for the whole act to be a good act. Okay, so the notes here. Look at page eight going back a step um so this is kind of a more precise way of saying what i've been saying about this word open to life so smith makes this point repeatedly um saying that to translate it into english is a mistranslation to translate it as open per se destinatus um so historically, the first English translation that was rushed out there used this word open. Um, I don't know if that's historically part of why and how Gruset structured his analysis. I think if you look historically, he was actually developing his theory even before Humanae his precise basic human good. So I suspect somehow that was unrelated. But it's certainly, it certainly—it works happily in his system. Um, it utterly ruins Smith's more traditional outline. Um, okay, the rest I think they're on the page. Okay, at the bottom of the page there, I say some acts inherently unapt for procreation, and thus not. Per se destinatus for life. So anal sex, oral sex, masturbation, either alone or with another, homosexual acts, all of those, the act itself, there's nothing about it that is per se destinatus towards life. It's not that the circumstances are wrong, or that the day of the week is wrong, or that the person is. It's just the act itself isn't ordered to life. Whereas what we call the marital act of itself, what is it about, what is it ordered towards? It's ordered towards life. Even when a couple's old and infertile, it's still ordered towards life. Even when they're young and infertile, it's still ordered towards life even on the days of a month in a fertile woman the days when she is infertile the act itself is still ordered towards life even though it won't actualize that on those days I've been repeating myself many times today sometimes that's it's always boring, <laughs> but, some, but sometimes it is an important way of learning, absorbing, teaching. Um, I'm hoping for you to throw me a new... Actually, I didn't get that thing you just said. Um, so Let's spell this out differently. Page 10... make some clarifications on this page natural animal artificial so i've made this point before but just to make it a bit more slowly artificial does not imply unnatural and again this is us using our words philosophically technically Catholically, not as the popular world is using these same words natural implies something that is in accord with The nature, the purpose, the end of a thing. That's what we mean by natural. That's what Aristotle would mean by the word natural. The following artificial aids restore a thing to function. Spectacles enable us to see. Hearing aids enable us to hear. Artificial aids to assist with knowledge of your fertility do not cause the fertility or infertility. They just assist you in knowing Whereas in contrast, unnatural means working against nature, against the nature of the act. Okay, my next little section there. Natural doesn't just mean bodily or animal. Now, I've often heard somebody... A Catholic will say something, oh, well, natural law says, and someone else will say, well, the law of the jungle, um, mm. completely meaning a different word by the word natural. So again, what do we mean by natural? Well, we don't mean animal or bottle. So Smith makes the point that the church fully permits sterilization, abortion, contraception, and in virtue of fertilization for animals and yet doesn't permit them for humans. So it's not animal per se that's the issue. It's actually all of these things are different in a human. So it's not opposing animal nature that's wrong, nor is it opposing human biological processes per se that is wrong. Rather, and here directly quoting Smith, it is because the generative biological processes of man means something greater for man than they do for animals that the biological processes are evaluated differently. Does that, you're grasping the distinction here? Yes. So we tell a a Catholic couple, you can use IVF, but actually we're using artificial insemination all the time in cows because um, you know our, our cattle are so artificially produced because we get the perfect cow and so we don't want to just randomly get new cows we want to get the perfect cow reproduced so they use sources of sperm from the perfect cow to impregnate loads of cows um, church doesn't have a problem with that uh, it's not that artificial insemination biologically is a problem is that actually humanly it's a problem because for humans sex means much more than it does for a cat that the act affects us personally, spiritually, morally it's not just a biological act which brings me on to the point and again I'm I'm quoting all from Smith here, are very progressive. So the liberals, the progressives, the modern Catholics, um, they disregard the importance of the body. The deep dimensions of the human person enter into the generative acts. Far from it being the church that reduces sex to something merely physical, it's the defenders of contraception that treats sex as merely physical. Something whose finalities can be altered without affecting the persons involved. And then I quote Veritatis Splendor. Um, so he refers in that paragraph 48 to the accusation of physicalism or biologism. Um, it JP2 notes the mistaken tendency to treat the human body as raw data, materially necessary for freedom to make its choice yet extrinsic to the person the subject and the human act their functions their biological human body data they would not be able to constitute reference points for moral decisions because these inclinations would be merely physical goods called by some pre-moral so there he's taking a swipe directly at the proportionists and he notes that the rational soul is the form of the body, and it it is in the unity of the body and soul that the person is the subject of his own moral acts. So the cow doesn't have a soul. So sex for the cow lacks that deeper dimension because it is only biological. Whereas for us, all of my bodily actions have a whole nother level of significance because what's engaging with them is this body-soul unity, a person. Okay. You have all read through these pages. Yes. So I am just trying to reiterate, vocalize drive the point home to, to the point of boredom. Um, do you want me to articulate more the remaining pages? Or are we okay here? page 11 I'm specifically saying why contraception is a sin which is just making the distinction I've been articulating the previous pages James
3: what would be the best way of Presenting this to couples
0: marriage when I do marriage couples with a prep with a, a couple, I always start with a point, um, the warning that they know about half of the couples that get married don't last um, and they want to last. And I say, Well, I know what the church you've heard the church saying sounds very weird and alien to you and most of the couples that come to me are already sleeping together been living together in my experience these days they don't even pretend to give me two different addresses um, <laughs> so I've been a priest 22 years I remember seeing that change that the first time I had the, the, uh, the woman gave me her address and I asked the man his address and he said she just told you quite, you know, are you stupid? (laughs) Um, um, Whereas the very beginning of my priesthood, there would sometimes still be a slight awkwardness anyway, my point is I start with a couple acknowledging that they are very distant in their attitudes from those of the church and saying, I want to try and sell you a product that I know you aren't presently convinced of Um, And I I refer to the statistics Janet Smith refers to. I say, look, if you want your marriage to last, the church offers a completely different way of relating to each other. And it's a way that involves more commitment. It involves relating to the woman's body differently. It involves not having sex as randomly and freely in the month as you would if you're following an FPE. But if you want to pass in a of relationship built on something to last, I think there's anecdotal evidence, um, but also statistical evidence that this is a way that's going to help you. Would it not be like to uh, fear? Is this a dogmatic stand by the world, by, by me? Uh, NFP. Yeah, what? Is it a dogmatic stand? What do you mean by dogmatic? That this is the official judge's stand, mm-hmm. teaching on consent. Yes, yes. So I mean, that's what Humanivita isn't only saying contraception is forbidden, it also is saying natural family planning is permitted if there are just grounds. So, that as a pastor, I don't have, on one level, the freedom to disregard this any more than I have the freedom to disregard the Trinity. Um, So, I have people that come to me who are very simple in their appreciation of things, and so I don't talk about the Trinity much. I have other people that come to me who are so removed from the church that where I would be in my relationship with them in terms of when I'm able to talk about these things I think are hugely important for them I may never find a, a, an opportunity in conversation with them, but I can never tell myself that it doesn't matter and that it isn't good for them I must. this has to be on my agenda for their sake if I'm an authentic shepherd for them. Can we conclude Janet Smith then? So we're going to look at Grisey. Um, next session but one um, so what have we looked at in Janet Smith Janet Smith has had an approach that is rooting in nature nature with a knowledge of biology and saying all these processes These teach us about the person, teach us about how two persons, a man and a woman committed in marriage in total self-gift, how they relate to each other and that the act of contracepting is unnatural, thwarts the inherent meaning of the act. And by attacking the inherent meaning of the act, damages the relationship with the couple as well.